Good evening. My name is Josh. I'm joined as always by Aaron and Bob, and this week by Matt Long, author of The House That Jesus Built, The Biblical Shape of the Earth. We're the folks who can help you find the method of the madness, reason and the reasonable, make sense out of nonsense, because this is okay. Hear me out. How y'all doing this evening? <laughs> I thought I was ready for this interview, but I, I don't think I'm ready anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready to get that jab, though. Oh, my God. Best. <laughs> oh. I, my favorite part about it is that I heard the song the first time. It's like this disco song, except when Bob plays it to us because his audio thing is so messed up. We just heard a Singaporean man a cappella try to sing us, like karaoke sing us a disco song. I almost wish we could play that version to the people listening. It's even worse. Uh, <laughs> half those rhymes were like barely slant rhymes, too. Wow, wow, Josh, That's way to be complaint. racist immediately That's... off the bat. <laughs> oh my god. Speaking, the rhymes were in English. How the f- What's okay. a slant rhyme? No one's ever heard of that before. Cancel the show. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for coming, by the way. I met you at uh, Texas at your uh, Flat Earth meetup, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was so, great. Uh, I couldn't believe all the people that showed up. We had guy from buffalo coming down this crazy guy i'd never met before just shows up in the middle of fort worth texas we had a great meetup bunch of flat earthers there really a place for people to get together and just enjoy each other enjoy uh, some commonalities and beliefs and and that's exactly what it was and so we had people from buffalo california michigan had a, a lady down from canada so it was it was a wonderful time and surely was glad to get to meet you and, and glad that it has brought me all the way to this point with you guys. <laughs> this is the peak. It's this, all downhill from okay, this, hear me out. This, this is, is the point. peak. I've sold everything because this is it. This is it. I have a, the, 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 the probably the most basic question for this, but um, how did you go? For, like, you didn't grow up being a flat earther, did you? So, like, if you didn't, what was the thing that made you go, uh, well, the earth might be flat? Sure. That's a tough question because we're all flat earthers. Just not everybody's figured it out yet. So I did not grow up believing that the earth <laughs> was flat. In fact, I so I grew up, I, I, I hardly read the Bible, didn't really grow up going to church that much. You know, we went to the, the big holidays, things like that. And I, I wasn't a conspiracy guy. I would say up until, I don't know, six years ago, I believed the mainstream narrative on just about everything. And I, I believe that we evolved over millions of years and things like that, thanks to my university education. And 
you know, it, it took a little bit of me actually digging into the details myself because prior to, I'd say my late twenties, all of my beliefs, every one of them was, was based on preconceived notions that were based on other people's opinions because I, I was not a researcher per se. I was a guy who watched the, you know, watched the mainstream news, you know, thought maybe Fox news was, was my place to stay. Like they were, they were the, they were the real truth, you know, and, and everybody else was, was throwing out fake news, but I've, I've come to realize, you know, there's, there's two sides to every coin and the best place to be standing is right on that little thin part right there, looking at both sides and evaluating from theirs. As you know, that most things are a false dichotomy in life when you think you only have two choices. So I actually started reading the Bible for myself again in my late twenties. And as I was doing that, I was looking into some things like the giants of Genesis six. I was looking into the lie, in my opinion, of evolution and I started finding these uh, Christian re research organizations that had a totally different narrative than that of the mainstream, than that of the, the Big Bang, the, the heliocentric model. That's the model where the planets rotate around the sun, where nothing exploded and created everything. I found these organizations that actually had a different explanation because in my early 20s, when I believed all that stuff, when I believed the heliocentric model, when I believed the Big Bang Theory, when I believed evolution, I would read page one of Genesis and it sounded like a fairy tale. It actually sounded quite dumb. And if page one sounds dumb, I'm, I'm not even going to waste time on page two. So I, I started digging into uh, some of those things. And, and the, by far the most fascinating thing for me was Genesis 6. It talked about how angels came down from heaven and, and had children with uh, the the daughters of men and their and their children were giants and, and they were enormous and I started seeing like hey there's actually archaeological evidence for this stuff so while I was following a guy that was talking a lot about that he did a flat earth I mean excuse me he did an interview about flat earth and flat earth wasn't in the title I probably wouldn't have watched it but it was an interview saying hey how I got into this uh, and you know in YouTube you can't always see the full title. So I watched it and he started talking about flat earth and he started talking about how you could still circumnavigate it, how sunrise and sunset still works the same, how you can't fall off the edge. And then he said that the Bible actually backs that up. And I had been researching the Bible. I've been evaluating Genesis on the age of the earth and on evolution and things like that. And when he said that, it was almost like a heart. I mean, excuse me, an arrow was shot right to my heart because I knew the verses. And immediately I just felt like that was truth. Now, to just tell someone, hey, I feel like this is true is usually not good enough. So I, I then went and spent the next couple of years really making sure I wasn't an idiot to, to believe in this. And, and what I found is if you give an honest look to flat earth, especially the biblical account, if you give an honest look, you you are not an idiot to believe in flat earth. You are, you are not an idiot to put your faith in the Bible and the things that it says, because there is there is something called evidence, right? And evidence is supposed to be non-biased, which it is. It's numbers, it's readings, it's measurements. But the interpretation of that evidence, which is what you would read on a blog or see on the Discovery Channel, that's an opinion. That's someone's opinion. And so this notion that I found that most of the things you hear on TV are opinions, are someone else's opinions of evidence, and you can actually go evaluate the evidence for yourself, that was a big switch for me. So I would say my, my late 20s when I started getting back into the Bible, culminating at the point where I just kind of fell into flat earth. That was my first conspiracy theory. And then all the other conspiracies followed after that, at least the ones that made sense and, and fell in line with my Bible. So um, I, I was not a conspiracy guy growing up, but 
I, I definitely am now. If, if that's a if that's a label, my uh, what, I can't believe you started on flat Earth. That's usually the you usually <laughs> do a gradual climb to that. Whoops. Yeah, like <laughs> mine was the moon landing. It spiraled me out of control on the moon landing, and I was on the Dick Show uh, where your co-host was just on, Dave Weiss, to debate about the moon landing, uh, and he dubbed me the King of the Moon. And so I would spiral about that, and people were like. Oh, idiot, you're going to be a flat earther next. Idiot, you're going to be flat earther next. And it was over and over and over again. And I was finally sick of it. And I was like, obviously, I'm not a flat earther. That's stupid. But I knew like the kind that was like the flat earth society version that sure. was presented to you where there's like a floating uh, pancake flying through space. And you're like, yeah, obviously, that's stupid. But then I realized that that's not what they believed. And the more I kept trying to pick it apart, like. Because I already didn't believe NASA when I started looking into it. Like, they were done. All government space agencies not ex just accepting wow, their data at all. Yeah. And uh, once you do that, it's really, there's some really crazy uh, realizations you make. And I don't even really consider myself a letter. I, I just don't think it's a ball. Sure. I, um, like, there's only one piece of evidence that I can even think of that implies that it's a ball. And I wonder what you think about this, because this one kind of drives me insane a little bit. I still think it's like a firmament effect. But what it is, is northern hemisphere stars circling around an axis and southern hemisphere stars also circling around an axis. Sure. Yeah, I'll, what I'll, do you think about that? I'll speak to that. You know, there's a lot of things, like my co-host always says, there's like things that fall into column A, which is can work on a flat earth. Column B, things that can only work on a baller, and then column C, things that work on both. Most things are a column C where those phenomena can work on both. But, and what he always says is there's not one thing that only falls into column B, whatever that falls into a ball. But the the Southern Hemisphere stars, I, I've got a video on my YouTube channel, at Woketown on YouTube and Instagram, actually, that shows what happens when you look at a spiral above your head and when you're looking through a lens, which is, which is how our atmosphere acts. And what happens is the further out you get from the center of that spiral, it will, things will actually start bending the other way. And it's really tough to describe over just voice. But if anyone wants to go check that out on my YouTube channel, they can, that's called Southern hemisphere stars. Um, something to that effect, but but yeah, I, th I think that it, that is a lensing effect, has something to do with the, the water molecules in the atmosphere, and I think that personally can work on both. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's a good answer. It's the only one that like I've always thought, to for me, I can't wrap my head around how it would go into column C. It's always been a column B thing for me, and I can't just ignore it because I want the one to be true. Like That's one thing i got to be careful of because now that I really do believe in flat earth you you found it from a biblical angle i found it from a science angle that brought me back to being religious right so now that like once because if the earth is flat let's just say it's flat we live in a snow globe or whatever uh that means that like god's definitely real and then you start looking at like like for me i guess probably just because i'm most comfortable with it the bible is the first thing i started looking at and it like kind of describes exactly what I'm seeing now. And I'm like, uh, yeah. okay, this might all be real. 
that's blowing my mind. Right. So it's a very big worldview shift. Right. So maybe I'll, I'll explain a couple of things. You you are in a, a different position than me where you you might could still find a piece of evidence that would like maybe shake you a little bit. But for me, going from the Bible to the evidence, I feel like I'm at a point now where I see something like some of the Southern Hemisphere stars. And if I can't figure it out, I'll admit, hey, I don't know what that is, but I bet when I die one day, God's going to show me how that works on a flat earth. And, and so that's kind of where I am now. It'd be really hard to take me kind of out of a place of confidence. I'm, I'm not saying you're not confident. I'm just, uh, you and I probably, we obviously came about it from opposite directions, but we ended up in the same place. And just to kind of, I guess, put out there what I believe, it, the, I feel like the easiest way to explain it is I don't believe in a solar system. I believe in an earth system. And so that's a motionless flat earth under a dome within which the sun, moon, sun, moon, and stars are all located within that dome. They're smaller, they're closer, they're local. They're not places that we can go to in a rocket ship. They're lights in the sky. I can look up and I can see Saturn through my telescope. I believe it's inside our system. I believe it's inside the firmament as the Bible describes or dome or whatever you want to call it. So yes, I believe we live in a snow globe, snow globe like the Truman Show, the true man show, right? That's what, that's what we are. I, that's about what I think. Like it, looking at stars, it looks like it's through water. I think the atmosphere is some kind of liquid. Yeah. Um, I even wonder, like, just a w random biblical thing. I always wonder if Leviathan is actually like a just a gigantic ocean creature that's actually in swimming in the firmament. That's why it's something. It's not even like on Earth. It's like actually a firmament, like some kind of firmament guardian, because he shows Enoch the Leviathan, and it, like, blows his mind. It's the one time where Enoch is like, oh, my God, and just, like, absolutely blows his mind. I would imagine Enoch had a similar reaction to when I just saw that Singapore video. Fairly, fairly similar. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, okay, I don't so, want to go to heaven anymore. Real quick, the Bible talks about talks about the creatures in the air, the creatures in the earth, and then, like, the creatures under the earth. So... You, the way you're speaking could totally work with that. I mean, because the, the waters below, I would think if you could go far enough out, would eventually start to go on the other side of the firmament. So that would be that'd be freaky to see a Leviathan flying around in the sky, swimming around, okay, excuse me. Okay, so I, I have two questions. Awesome, one at a time, though. All right, you so remember you the rules. We, yeah, remember the rules. I do, one yeah. Question, you got to <laughs> listen to the answer. Uh, when you, when you said in the very, when you first started off, you were saying that you looked at the Bible and then you notice, uh, the passages of angels coming down and, um, uh, what was it breeding with, with humans and making, what was it? Giants. Can you elaborate on that? And like the, you said there was evidence associated with that and where did that bring you? Sure. Where did well, you start and where'd that bring you? Sure. Well, here's what happens when two, when an angel and a, and a human fall in love, they get married and then I'm just kidding. I've got I've got five kids under six, so I haven't I haven't quite had to have that conversation yet. We, we get it. Your wife is an angel. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Yes. That's right. So, yeah, in Genesis six, it talks about how the sons of God had children with the daughters of men. Now, if you were to go to seminary school, they would tell you that the sons of God are the line of Adam, and the and the daughters of men are the line of Cain. And, but what doesn't make sense is when they have babies, they have giants. They have men of renown is what they're called. They're called the Nephilim. And, and so I think, I think a more plausible literal reading of it as you go through the, the entirety of the Bible, not just that line is that they were 
angels that came down. And uh, Jude or Revelation, I can't remember, it talks about um, basically there's a special place reserved in hell, Tartarus, for these angels. They're chained up until the last days. And the book of Enoch, like Aaron talked about, goes way, way, way more into that stuff and super fascinating. And he was almost like a like a lawyer or go-between between these angels and God. Very, very fascinating. And the, the punishment for these angels that came down was to watch their children fight to the death. And their souls are what became, I guess, all these demons and spirits that, that roam the earth and what, you know, people think are ghosts and things like that. And super fascinating. Now, all of that detail is not necessarily in the Bible. There are little snippets of it. And then you take some of these extra biblical things like Enoch, Jasher, books like that, that the Bible actually quotes, um, but some of these books and you get, you get more, you get a bigger picture. So um, you can start to look for, and and I'll just give you my opinion on dinosaurs because it kind of plays into this. I believe that most of the dinosaur bones that, that are found are actually giant human bones. So you find this enormous femur or this enormous, you know, femur patella, uh, you know, combination. And they say, oh, you know, that's that's from a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or whatever, which, by the way, Tyrannosaurus Rex, that's the stupidest looking dinosaur I've ever seen in my life with those tiny little arms. <laughs> but imagine it. But imagine it with feathers. Yeah. Isn't that so much more realistic. Oh, OK, now we're talking. <laughs> so, yes, my opinion is that obviously our, our history is far different than what quote-unquote science or scientism tells us. And if if there are giant humans in our past, then that doesn't go along with evolution. So what they do is they get rid of the bones, they hide them in plain sight. You know, you go to a museum and there's always, every time you go into a museum, there's a giant brontosaurus, always. Like, there just must have been tons of brontosauruses around, okay? So you got this giant brontosaurus skeleton and you'll ask them, okay, how many of these are actual bones? And they'll say, oh, well, none of those are actually bones but we do have three bones in the back that we found. And then the rest are cast from other brontosauruses that we know what they look like. And so what happens is these people, they find three bones and then they hire an artist to draw it. And it usually looks like a, a hairy fish or a feathery reptile uh, to, to explain how we jumped from slime to where we are today. And there's all kinds of accounts of these people find giant human skulls, giant full skeletons then the Smithsonian shows up and everything goes away. There's a town out by us called Rockwall, Texas. And it's called Rockwall, Texas because I want to say in the late 1800s or maybe early 1800s, uh, don't quote me because I don't want to lie to you, but somewhere when around the founding of that city, they called it Rockwall because when the first settlers got there, there was this giant rock wall and uh, like straight line with corners. It looked like a, an old giant fort, probably pre, pre-flood uh, architecture. And they found... In this layer, like this cave, they found these giant bones. They found a giant skull and then all these human bones. So they think it was a cannibalistic giant. And you go back, I've driven through the town. I went to the library, read the old newspapers, and they talked about how, yeah, Farmer Joe so-and-so still has the skull on display at his farm if you want to go over there and look at it. And like all these articles, just crazy stuff. And then it disappeared. And by the, and right now, there is a lake over where, where all that stuff used to be. There... If, if you didn't know, there's only one natural lake in Texas. All the other lakes are man-made. They dam up an area and, and fill it up. Oh, really? And I think it's because they're covering up a lot of this stuff. And they definitely covered up that because Lake Ray Hubbard is now right smack where, where all that stuff was found. So 
the the giant stuff it's still super fascinating to me i just i got i got stuck on flat earth while i was going through it but man it's just uh super fascinating I, i'd love to get back into it at, at some point when maybe when my kids get get out of the graduate yeah, I've seen some pretty uh, compelling archaeological evidence or photos for for the giant stuff and some of those full skeletons and uh, a bunch of accounts, that, which all involve the Smithsonian showing up at a helicopter and taking away the bones. It's that's <laughs> not sketchy at all. Okay, so you went the the more um, biblical route, not the I, I guess because we've discussed in past episodes um, about the the lost civilizations. Aaron was was that referred to as? Oh, well, Tartaria is like the general term for like, uh, I, I think people more use it as a blanket term for civilizations we don't know about in like mainstream history. Um, but there was like a an actual Tartarian empire, but since you don't ever learn about them, I think they probably attribute too much to them. But I Let's just call them the overworld Atlanteans. I have a completely that? random theory about that, but I don't want to get into it too hot. Maybe I'll get into it a little later in the episode. But I actually wanted to ask one thing while we were still talking about giants. Um, what's the cat? There's a castle in Europe that has these gigantic books that are like the size of people and these huge weapons that weigh like hundreds of pounds, like spears and stuff that are like these ancient. It's like in. One of the tiny ones, like Luxembourg or something, it's like this castle just has books that are six feet tall and like six feet wide and like these huge spears and stuff. You guys never heard of that? It's like the world's biggest ball of yarn, but in Europe. <laughs> uh, I have I have a picture right here of the books. I just can't remember. Of course, like, it, you know, they make it impossible to search for stuff like this. But I'll pop this in general just so you guys can see that I'm not insane. But if you can see that picture <laughs> that I just posted. Of that oh, guy, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a library filled with books like that. And all the weapons are scaled to basically people that would read those books like we read a normal book. Does that... That's crazy. Make sense? Oh. Like So, like, there's other evidence for giants building stuff besides just bones like some farmer finds the giant skeleton and the smithsonian comes and swoops it up and you don't know if he's crazy or if that really happened but like okay look at the book compared to that guy like it's humongous yeah but given no context it could be like some movie set or something no no that's a literal place that's a literal castle i promise you like i just can't remember where it's at it's I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be searching that furiously while you guys are talking to Matt about something. Okay. So, <laughs> Matt, you're you're coming from a lot of the the flat Earth and uh, other conspiracy topics from a biblical perspective. Uh, first thing, I want to give you a chance to plug your book or give a bit of a pitch for your book. I think it goes into a lot of that in more depth than we're going to be able to on the show. Um, so, the, the house that Jesus built. What's what's the the background? What's the premise to uh, what you wrote about sure here. so i have spoken at quite a few conferences and things like that i had a lot of stuff that you know i'd spoken on i'd done videos on but i really wanted to do a a book like it's just something i want to do i wanted to put everything in one place so that i had something to hand to someone to say hey this is what i believe and it's a lot of fun to to give these away and you know, the joke is it's only 90 pages. And had it just been 99 pages, I could have got my name on the spine. Could you believe that? 
So the next <laughs> book I write, I'm going to make sure it's at least 99 pages so I can get my name on the side of it so that people can actually see it on the, you know, when it's on the bookshelf. But no, if you see my channel, I do a lot of two and three minute videos. It's really hard for me. Like a seven minute is a full length feature film for me. So this book though, I honestly, I wanted it short because I wanted to be able to hand it to someone. They'd be able to read it in a night. And it, it comes from a Christian perspective. It's really kind of written to Christians, basically saying, hey, this is what your book says. Why don't you believe it, essentially, but in a nice way. And I don't even say flat earth to like chapter four. And so my hope was that someone could throw it on a, a pastor's desk and he, he would read, he'd get all the way to chapter four before he really found something he disagreed with. It starts out talking about how uh, why it's okay to believe in conspiracy theories, why science has run amok, and why it's trying to remove the, an all-loving creator from every process related to creation. It talks about what, I, what, what flat earthers actually believe, kind of like we talked about earlier. It talks about what the Bible says about flat earth. And then it talks about NASA and some of their evil roots and some of the things they've been caught doing and and then it talks about curvature and lack of motion. And then it talks about the reliability of the Bible, why the Bible is something that I, I put my trust into. And, and from a numbers perspective, I mean, it, it basically talks about why I started believing the Bible. And that, so that last chapter is probably my favorite. Uh, throw that in there, not just for maybe a non-Christian that might read it and, and need something, but also so Christians can have, I don't know, a little bit like of a confidence of defending their faith. So that's the book in a nutshell, 90 pages, really quick read. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, my wife edited it. She did a great job and that's it. That's all I got. What, what's the URL? If you go to book.woke.town, it takes you right there. And, yeah. and I was using woke before the, uh, you know, all, all the new, all the new <laughs> people were. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering with, um, with, with that last chapter and getting into the, the significance of the Bible and biblical texts for for context. Uh, I think the way to frame this is: what what is your canonical Christianity? Like, do you do you identify with any particular de dom denomination or uh, any particular translation of the Bible? Or you talked a bit about yeah you know, that you read Enoch and uh, Jasher and other uh, non typically not included in the Bible books. What's your canonical Christianity that you're coming from? Uh, to talk about these sure. topics. Sure. So I would, I would, if you just wanted a bland title, it'd be a non-denominational Christian. I believe the Bible. I read all ver all different translations of the Bible. I read the King James. I read the NIV. I read the modern English version. Um, I, if I'm reading a lot of the Bible at once, I'll do one of the easier to read versions. If I'm doing a word study, I'm going to do the King James because the King James was the closest written to the Greek, which means that a lot of the words are transfer a lot easier. So it really just depends. Um, you know, the Council of Nicaea and what was that like roughly 300 AD when they decided what books were going to be in uh, the canon? Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that there isn't more truth out there, but but they decided which books they were going to include. And, and there was a reason for that is you know, when you start getting further and further away from an event, then the accounts become more and more legendary. And they didn't want that to happen about Jesus. They didn't want him to turn into a Marvel character. So they, you know, they, they closed the canon. And some, some books, like the Ethiopian Bible, still has the book of Enoch in it. The Bible quotes Enoch. The Bible quotes from Jasher. So in my mind, that's a little bit of a a recommendation, you know, uh, it's reliable enough to be able to quote from, but 
as far as I go, my opinion of the Bible is that it's the most reliable and historically accurate collection of books in the history of the world. And there are there is no close second. If if you want to get into the, the numbers on that, I'm happy to. But I've I've got a couple great videos on my site about that. But you know, I I think all the books of the Bible are true. I think there could be more books beyond the Bible. But if it's said in the Bible, in my opinion, it's truth, and it's hard to argue with. Uh, doesn't actually Jesus himself quote from Enoch? Uh, that's a. I don't remember the quote now, but. It's possible, yes, um, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what verse off the top of yeah, my head. Yeah, I can't either. I can't remember now. There's something specific that only happens in Enoch that he like he like references, and I was like, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good recommendation of a stamp because then there's so many people. That I think it's probably the people that actually turn people away from Christianity. So many people are like, don't if you look at that, you're going to hell. Like, like, come on, you don't know. <laughs> like God didn't put you here to be the arbiter of what sends you to hell, you psycho. Yeah, and I think if you're if you're looking for things to, you know, supplement your your knowledge of that era, I mean, absolutely, go look in the written account. I give an example in my book about how when I was in college, I played a tennis match in my sophomore year, and it was I remember it well because it was the greatest tennis match I ever played. And it was a really big win for our team. And, um, you know, I, I, I was down match point and, and all these things. But if you were to ask me, what was the name of the guy that I played? Well, I don't really know. Okay, what was the name of the facility you played at? Well, I don't really know. It was in Colorado. You know, what was the temperature that day? I don't know. But if you were to go to the written account, you could find out all that information. If you were to go ask someone, hey, go do a scientific study on that court, even though you weren't alive at the time, and tell me what happened that day, you're not going to listen to that. You're going to go to the written account. And so it's not a sacrilege to go look into other things that were written because just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean it can't be true. Yeah, I, that part always drives me insane. Oh, by the way, it was Prague Castle. Prague Castle in the Czech Republic. That's the one that has the giant library. I couldn't find the giant weapons oh, there. Wait. That might have been a different castle, but. Prague Castle has a library of humongous books. Maybe we can get you in print there, Matt. We'll get the House of Jesus built <laughs> it, it <laughs> seven would, feet tall. They would probably do my book because it's not very long. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there. How have I not seen? How did I miss this giant library? Wow, real whatever. The old brag right there from Josh. <laughs> okay, so sorry. well traveled. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's actually the, the it's actually man. the smallest library in the world, but the books are giant. <laughs> yeah. It was just those dumb Czech Czechoslovakians could pretend to be smart because of how many pounds of books they read. They only have two dozen books in there, but they're really big. That's literally like the mainstream history, though. Uh, explanation is like they just did it because they thought it was cool. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I bet that's I'm also I'm also thinking that the the extra large weapons and stuff like that were maybe probably decor. You know, decorations set up around the place. You you could easily tell just by like the stuff they're made out of, or you know, the quality of the steel and stuff like that. They definitely wouldn't mm -hmm. make decorations the same quality as like an actual weapon that's being used. So possibly, but yeah. I, I, there I think there were giants like almost undeniably at this point. Like, there's a lot of evidence of it. There's even video in the 1900s of like people that are nine feet tall like 
like huge people that are not like not just elephant man you know what i mean like he's not just like a yeah. guy made out of tumors that's gonna die of a heart attack when he's 26 but like an actual just gigantic person to the scale that you don't see today even in like the nba so uh matt i'm wondering with taking everything written in the bible as truth and building upon some of that to believe in flat earth uh, in a more literalistic sense of some of the things written. Uh, but uh, from, from your point of view, how much or what exactly do you believe in so far as the cosmology of the Bible goes? So like when, when we're talking about the Nephilim and angels coming down, are angels coming down from a, a physical higher place? Or, or, you know, when you talk about a Tartarus, is that a, a physical, uh, you know, underworld um, location? Or is this, uh, how does the cosmology go between a, a literal physical place and a, a you know, metaphysical um, heavenly place? Sure. So I believe the Bible kind of clearly teaches that man's domain is here on earth and he has dominion over, over the things here at this level. I believe hell, Tartarus, I, I believe Sheol, I think, I think those are literal places where people are existing right now. I think heaven is a literal place where people and beings are, are existing right now. And when you read the account of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, I believe it is, you know, they're trying to build a tower whose top would reach unto heaven. And reading that from a globe mindset, it, it either sounds silly or it could be allegory. It just, it, it can't be literal. But from a flat earth perspective, you know, it sounds like they are trying to get up to the ferment to get into heaven. And if you read the book of Jasher, they were literally trying to attack God. Like they were shooting arrows up into heaven. And I think it even talks about an account where the angels were trying to confuse them by putting blood on the arrows and throwing them back down. But th their goal is to go up there and, and kill God. And so I believe that the, the Bible teaches a, a, a motionless flat earth under a firmament, above the firmament is water. Genesis talks about the firmament separating the waters above from the waters below. And you've got uh, the, the pillars of the earth. You've got the underworld with hell and uh, all, all that stuff. You've got um, the sun, moon, and stars. I think the sun and moon are probably located well inside the firmament. I think the stars are probably closer to the actual dome or, or whatever. And yeah, I, 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 I think the Bible, I think the Bible speaks of, like Aaron said, basically a snow globe type existence. Now, how much interaction is there between those two worlds or three worlds? I guess if you want to count it, I'm not sure, you know, previously there was talk before coming to flat earth, you always talk about tearing of the veil where the, the two dimensions now become one dimension where, you know, Jesus comes back from the, the other dimension that is heaven. Well, I actually just kind of think it's another place now. And so, uh, yeah, it's, I don't have all the answers in a perfect description, but you know, the Bible talks about the, the windows of heaven, the, the pillars of the earth. It talks about the firmament. And, and so you kind of take all these clues and try to piece something together and, and it comes up looking something like a snow globe with the North pole at the very center and Antarctica on the outside at the ends of the earth. Can I add that's good, yeah. to that level of mythology, by the way, 
with a couple <laughs> yeah, things. Please, Aaron. So in the Bible, you know how they describe the Ophanim? Uh, I think it's like in Isaiah, where it's in one of the ones where it's like all prophetic, like dreams. He actually has like a dream where he's like goes to heaven or something. I think it's Isaiah, but I'm not positive. Uh, so don't quote me on that. But there's a a group of angels called the Ophanim, and they literally just stand at like God's side, or and they uh, say like glory to He, glory to He. Um, in Enoch, I think that's what they do. But in Isaiah, he talks about how they look. And uh, it's supposed to be like wheels of eyes. Okay, so they sound like a Lovecraftian nightmare is what they sound like. So it's like a wheel. of There's like wheels of flesh and eyes around them spinning with a being in the middle. And when it moves, the like wheels of eyes move with them. So it's like one thing, which in some ways and this is going to sound crazy because this is all Enoch stuff, but it kind of sounds like the angels. There's angels that he, he froze in the firmament. He says, uh, to stand like be on set paths. They're literally the stars. And it kind of looks like some of the stars. When you zoom in on them, look like wheels of like light blasting around like a center object. Yeah, I know this is out of nowhere, yeah, but no, I've, it, I've it kind those. of looks like the description of Ophanim. Yeah, I've I think it might be Ezekiel that you're thinking of, mm. and it I is. Think you're right, and yes, you look at some of those uh, some of those captures that people have gotten of stars with some of their P nine hundreds, P one thousands, and yes, like yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, it's crazy. You're like, is that just an angel stuck in the firmament? <laughs> And then the other one about like that worldview of firmament is uh, with like the sun and the moon, how you say the local. One of the things I think, I mean, obviously it's all speculation. I can't prove any of this, you know, because once once it's beyond like there's no curvature, then it's for me, it's like mostly speculation. So I'm not like making any like hard. I agree here. with you. But how if you take like a glass bowl and put it on like a tabletop and you just imagine we're underneath the tabletop take like a pen light and you kind of circle it around that glass bowl there's a two two lights there's the source the pen light and then where it shines on the firmament and actually a lot of how the angles of suns where the sun appears when you're standing in two different locations i know weiss talks about this a lot kind of can be it can actually be recreated with standing on different points under that and looking where the light's shining on the outside of the bowl I, and when they take uh, solar filters sometimes and look at the sun, you can see two spots. Like, have you, you know, how the whole two suns, have you ever, yep. any of you ever heard about two suns? Josh, Bob? No. no. On, on Earth? No. Okay. So there almost looks like there's like another sun behind the sun in certain atmospheric effects. You can actually see it really clearly where it looks like two suns. And I literally think there might be a source light, and then the sun we see, the really glary one, oh. is when that light hits the outside of the firmament, and that's what we see circling around us. But, I mean, that's, like I said, pure speculation. I can't prove a single ounce of that because I have never been to the firmament. Yeah, I, I actually 100% agree with you because there is... the. The, the position of the sun is highly dependent on the observer, and you can test that because 
if I go stand on the beach and I look and see the, the sun trail along the water leading all the way up to my feet, and then Aaron goes 200 yards down the other direction and he sees the exact same thing coming to his feet, but I don't see that his sun trail and he doesn't see my sun trail. Or we could be standing under the moon on a little bit of a cloudy night and I look up and the clouds around the moon are lit up, but someone five miles away wouldn't see my clouds lit up. He would see his clouds lit up. And so it, all of that stuff is highly dependent on the observer. And if you read the Bible, it talks about light being created on day one. Firmament was created on day two. The sun wasn't even created until day four. So light and the sun are two different things. We even had morning and evening three times before the sun was created. So just some strange things that a lot of these puzzle pieces need to be put together. And I think Aaron has hit on it that there it's possible there is an outside source of light, which was the light created on day one. And then there's the sun, which in my opinion is just a focal point from that original light. So you take a convex lens and you shine a light on it and it's going to, all the light beam is going to focus in that one focal point. And so can you get to the sun? I don't think so. I think it's like a rainbow. I think you'd get to it and put your hand through it, which is why sometimes you can look through a lens and it looks like you can see a plane fly through the sun. Now that plane isn't flying through the sun, but from where I am as an observer, that's where the sun appears to be to me. Now, Aaron also talked about this, this notion of the second sun. Well, I think the second sun, I think that's the source. And I think he was saying that that's what he thinks too. And that when yeah. we have eclipses, that the sun that we see is actually the source being eclipsed. It's not our sun. It's the source being covered over from behind. Now, um, you know, again, all speculation, but it's super fun to talk about. What? So uh, everyone just, listening out there, sorry. make sure when, tomorrow morning when the sun's rising, make sure to stare at it real closely, <laughs> you know, as long as you can bear. You'll you, see it. You might be able to see what's actually going on. Get to For the science. truth behind the firmament. No, somebody took a... Uh, uh, okay, this is just recently. I saw this like two days ago, and I haven't had a chance to look into it, but this like kind of blew my mind. Was uh, taking like heat readings, or I, I can't remember how they did it, but basically showing that the moon wasn't present while the solar eclipse was happening like that the moon's not there like i i also think this but i can't like i don't have enough on it to like prove it to everybody right now so this is going to sound schizophrenic but the moon doesn't is going in front of the sun isn't what causes a solar eclipse in my opinion yeah I, and, I totally agree with you the it's very very hard and i i don't know that i've ever seen an image of the actual moon going in front of the sun you see a dark you see a dark image going in front of it. But if, if you do a test with a ball, which is what the moon is supposed to be, and put that in front of a light, it's not going to look the same that our solar eclipse looks. And I think, like we said, is that it's actually being eclipsed from behind with something solid and potentially something flat because of the, how uh, defined the termination line is. But yeah, Aaron, Aaron touched on something. You know, there was a... There was a lot of videos a couple years ago, and I think it was out of Michigan, of a guy who caught the what appeared to be the source light because he was pointing his camera up during the eclipse, so the light of the sun was actually less, and you could kind of see the the thing behind it. But you know, who knows? So, so we, we thought supposedly, or, or is it supposed to be possible to get an angle, get a, a, an image at an angle to where you'd be able to? kind of see a bit better what's going on. So so say, um, I guess this would be outside of 
the view we're talking about, but suppose a satellite has an angle where you can see um, kind of how the moon would be blocking the sun or see that that is indeed the moon blocking the sun. Uh, is there any, so those pictures don't, don't exist well, first, or is there, is there any reason that they, that they wouldn't? satellites exist before you can even assume. Yeah, yeah exactly. That. That's what I said. It's a bit, bit outside of you know, what we're talking <laughs> joking, about right yeah. now. But, uh, no, I mean, uh, unconventional, I feel like I've probably yeah. seen some kind of animation or maybe I saw something on Star Trek that looked like that. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone claim, Hey, here's our shot of the actual moon going in front of the sun. You know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Okay. But I would suppose so, if you had a satellite high enough, you could get some kind of an angle. Yeah. I'd, I'd imagine that too. I feel, I feel like that image it's just that Should satellites it, uh, are exist. you know supposed to only be 250 miles up the the moon is 240,000 the sun's 93 million i don't know even if you could video that with some kind of satellite i don't know that you could get a different angle an you know a a bit a different enough angle than what we see here on earth just from the math yeah okay. that, that's a good point okay Aaron, what were you saying Oh, um, just, uh, I was actually looking up that thing that spect it was a spectral analysis of the eclipse determined that the moon wasn't there. And they had like basically a bunch of, uh, machines that make you have vision like the predator and the moon right. is just not there. That's amazing. Uh, but I, I can't, I, I can't prove any, I like, I don't know enough about what they did, so I can't like make that claim, but I was just saw that and it was really interesting. I think it's just, just yeah, I think it's just a PowerPoint filter probably. <laughs> well, the, what? Instagram, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, TikTok. Excuse you. Excuse yes. you. The uh, I, I know a lot of people listening will just think this sounds like the ravings of a couple of schizophrenics. <laughs> like, really, it does. I know that it does, but it really ends up being really interesting shit that you should look into because uh, I mean, mostly what we do on the show for the Matt, but. What we've been doing, especially lately, is been picking apart things that they've told us in school. Just like school lessons that you just took for granted that happened. And we start looking into it to see how stupid it is. My favorite example of it is the Dust Bowl. <laughs> and like the Dust Bowl is the dumbest thing that's ever, ever been talked wait, about. Like, told. wait, they just... wait, what? Dude, okay, do you do you know what the official story is that we learned when we were kids? No. Lay it on me. In 1933, there were too many amateur homesteaders in the Midwest. <laughs> so all of the topsoil blew away because of a drought and then a series of windstorms. This happened three times that lasted one to three years from 1933 to 1939, a series of these storms that blew away all of the topsoil. So the government had to start subsidizing farms and move, bought up and started, uh, so they started subsidizing these corporate farms that moved in that were cutting their prices to a point that the homesteaders that did live there couldn't afford it anymore, couldn't make their mortgage payments, had to sell their houses 